0: following episode of the movie club podcast can and will contain spoilers please be aware of this before you listen thank you hello everyone welcome to the movie club podcast episode number 10 Uh, Every month we talk about two movies, one of which is pre-selected by you, the listeners. And this month we are talking about Soylent Green and The Insider. So let's go around the table and introduce all of this month's participants. Uh, Starting with myself, my name is Sean from
1: FilmJunk.com. And my name is Jay from FilmJunk.com and I'm a... Infrequent poster on the on the documentary blog.
2: <laughs> and my name is Kurt from
1: row3.com
3: and Twitch. And I'm Omar Suarez from Twitch.
4: And this is Reed from Film Junk, who also writes the Trekno Babble column on Film Junk and the uh and I'm, uh, I'm on with Jay on the Cantankerous Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, smooth as ice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes,
0: yeah, it's our first time having Reed Farrington on the Movie Club Podcast. Um, and unfortunately, our regular um, hosts, uh, Marina and Andrew, could not be here uh, this month. But um, Reed's good to have you. I know you're kind of a fan of Soil and Green. And. Um, charlton heston movies in general yes <laughs> so it'll be good to get your insight on this um so He's
1: memorized all of the imdb trivia for
4: this one <laughs> <laughs> uh
0: so le- without any further ado uh let's jump into uh soylent green which is uh was released in 1973 directed by richard flesher and of course starring charlton heston um this is one of those movies that i think most people have heard of and most people probably know the ending to but may not have seen that was my situation here i had never seen it from start to finish but of course i knew the the classic ending and the the classic line at the end um
4: do you recall when you first heard about it sean
0: well, uh, it's funny you mention that. For some reason, this is one of those uh, pop culture things that I'm guessing I may have seen for the first time on The Simpsons. Hmm. It was Saturday Night Live for me? Oh yeah, that's right. Actually, it could have been that. Um, I,
3: have, I have no idea where I heard it. I heard, I heard about it for the first time, or uh, kind of. I heard it so many times, it kind of it's all a blur where I heard it for the first time
1: it just seeps into your your subconscious yeah. and lies dormant until you need it.
3: <laughs> I think
2: it was Planet of the Apes. Uh, I mean, there were my dad was a huge fan of the whole series of Planet of the Apes movies and there was a TV show for a while and I'm pretty sure that then we just there's a whole slew of 1970s Charlton Heston science fiction pictures. Usually he's like, the last guy, like, in Planet of the Apes or... or uh, There are only Man.
4: three. Um. <laughs> Which? <laughs> but, Planet uh, of the Apes
2: or yeah, Mega Man? I, I think yeah. it just sort of led to, let's watch all these Charlton Heston movies where he has a big, gigantic, dramatic line at the end.
0: Yeah, and I, it's kind of interesting, too, that, uh, you know, the the kind of the twist-ending thing, it kind of reminded me that... Um, I, you know, I don't know if it's just Charlton Heston movies. I get the feeling that a lot of the the science fiction movies from that era kind of did that thing, and I think more recently the Mist did that, um, which was kind of uh, I kind of dug that as well. But um, so so obviously we're going to be you know there's going to be spoilers here. We're going to be talking you know in detail about the plot of the movie. Um, we're going
1: to give away the beginning of Soylent Green. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, it's not really much to spoil, uh, but let me put out a warning. Spoilant green on the way. Uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, so basically, um,
3: there... Just write these down, man.
0: <laughs> I know. So uh, it's in the, the not-too-distant future, and uh, the world is overpopulated, and food is hard to come by, and, of course, there is a corporation that is... Uh, bringing out a food supply known as Soylent Green, the corporation is called Soylent. The Soylent Corporation is that what it's called? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, and Charlton Heston plays a detective who's investigating. Uh, well, I guess he starts off investigating a murder. the uh, Murder of was it the 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 head of the the corporation or one of the board one members? Of them. Yeah. Right. So, um, so I mean, that in itself was something I didn't know. I didn't know that he was a detective in this, which was kind of interesting. Well,
2: the guy um, who's murdered is, you know, vintage actor, Holly Martins, um, Joseph Cotton from, uh, you know, Citizen Kane, The Third Man. Just one of those sort of mega superstars, although he's yeah, not yeah. in the
3: movie very long. <laughs> True. Did a couple of Japanese monster movies as well, Lapsuit uh, Zero as well joseph cotton yeah yeah really it was it was the lead in that one
4: no, oh, the, the latter end of joseph
3: cotton's resume
2: is just <laughs> full of odd weird not the prestige orson wells projects uh, that he was doing in the uh, uh um before the war or whatever hmm. so um
0: I guess let me ask you guys in general. Well, okay, so first of all, who who had seen the movie before then?
1: I did. Uh, <clears throat> I I didn't. I thought I had seen parts of it, but I didn't recognize any of it. I'm I'm guessing and you still I still probably... didn't watch
4: it. What? You still didn't watch it. I watched it. You <laughs> no, we were doing other things. You were doing house cleaning while we were watching it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You don't have to pay that much attention to it. All that matters is the ending,
4: which you know going in. <laughs> so, Sean, you forgot to mention the uh, the pollution as well. Pollution, right? <laughs> so, yeah, Silent Green was one of these. Um, I can't think of the word. The um, scare movie, not scare movies, but. Um, science fiction <laughs> oh, can someone help me out here they uh, foreboding for warning
2: well, one of these panic panic films with current issues extrapolated forward like the that wasn't the early 70s the rise of the first rise of the sort of environmental movement and you can see just the opening credits is like a you know there's going to be problems, kind of screed at the beginning, which is awesome, by the way. The opening credit sequence <laughs> is one of the better opening credit sequences, period. Um, all stills just uh, actually reminds me a lot of La just telling the story very quickly. All the exposition through just looking at stills and listening to the changes
1: in the music, it's pretty cool.
2: Yeah,
4: and the editing speeds up as well as you're going to a faster lifestyle. Yeah,
1: Did you read that out. on IMDb? <laughs>
4: no, that was an original thought of mine.
1: <laughs> wow.
4: <laughs>
3: yeah, I noticed that as well. Uh,
1: <clears throat> so, I, so wait which which guy was Stephen Young?
4: He was the one who murdered Joseph Cotton. Oh, okay. Uh, the just Jay's girlfriend knows Stephen Young personally. She dog sits for
1: him. Dude? Yeah, the yeah, guy. Yeah. yeah. He wow. lives in uh, Niagara on the Lake and. I, I'm trying to get her to uh, give him a script.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, um, so I guess one
0: thing that um, I wanted to ask is, what did you guys think about the uh, like this portrayal of the future? I guess, like, did you find it believable? Obviously, you know, the bu- there were some budgetary and special effects constraints when it
1: was made. Um, did you find it a believable future? I think the scariest thing about this future is the idea of everyone sleeping on stairwells.
4: <laughs>
1: Blocking the stairs. In a future where everybody sleeps in stairways. <laughs> what was the deal with that?
4: It's
0: definitely a risk for people who live in actual apartments. Maybe.
1: And everyone wears,
4: like, beige hats. It's hot. They're protecting their heads from the sun. Well, scarves. The, the oh one, yeah
0: one interesting thing is that um, like at the beginning when he gives a crowbar to that guy like you get the impression a lot of people just live in their cars which I guess kind of would make sense in some, some way except
2: you never ever see anyone drive anywhere um, the only v- moving vehicles in the movie are the uh, um, the garbage the trucks the scoopers, yeah. Yeah. scoopers. <laughs> yeah which
0: that scene um, <laughs> I don't really understand how that works like how that was clearing people out. Like if you were getting picked up by a, you know, tractor trailer, wouldn't you just jump out of the? <laughs>
4: well, some people
2: did. Well, guys do jump out. Yeah,
4: yeah, guys do jump out.
2: I thought that. I think that's one of the best scenes in the movie for really giving you a feel of, of that, world. Yeah, um, that was an iconic the control scene. Is probably the most expensive scene in the movie.
0: Yeah. They actually did a pretty good job in terms of, uh, yeah, there's some scenes where there's just tons of people and you really get a sense of like this just civilization out of control kind of thing. Um, but then, a- it,
2: for some reason, like when he's being tailed, there's no one. I, I thought they were pretty inconsistent with the overpopulation thing. Like there's many times when it just wants to be a normal movie. We're going to have a chase scene. We're going to have a shootout in that case there's no one around and in other <laughs> scenes it's totally crowded i found uh, it was a little dicey in that
4: yeah in the nighttime Welcome. scenes everyone just seemed to disappear i guess into the, the stairwells because they're sleeping in the stairwells yeah
3: there was a curfew so people had to go inside all ah, oh, right correct. that's
4: that's right yes. so
0: it yeah. does make sense
3: <laughs> the whole <laughs> movie makes now. sense so but it was so funny that um uh Charles Van apartment. It was, like, huge. Even for, like, a New York Manhattan apartment. It was huge. Huge. (laughs) And he couldn't spare a room for all these people sleeping in the stairwells. It was was such a dick in this movie. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, This
2: is crazy. (laughs) Well, we should get into that. I I think I love this movie just because he's such... An entitled asshole in the movie. Yeah. He's He knows he's the law, and even if he's doing his job, he's going to go in there and he's going to take every perk he possibly can. And he ain't even subtle about it. He just goes in, he takes food right out of people's hands. He takes a cigarette, a drink, and he's like, I, I don't have the money to afford any of this normally, but when I'm on the job, I can just throw my weight around. Not very... Not no. an, it's an interesting choice for the so-called protagonist of the movie to be such a prick.
3: Yeah, he, he is the biggest biggest dick, and uh, I've ever seen him in a <laughs> film. So I mean, you know, this cocky asshole, really, and uh, and uh, it's it's kind of funny how the film is trying to portray what one would think that uh, like a leftist. Viewpoint about the overpopulation, about the pollution, and all that shit, and uh, how corporations are 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 taking over the world, and then Charlton Heston playing a guy who's supposedly against all this, but acting in accordance with how the government is acting, just taking shit, and then thinking about how Charlton Heston in the real life was—he uh, was, he was a, you know hardcore right winger, and. Uh, so this is a strange mix of of, of political
2: views and, and, and a message in this film. What? didn't Heston also have like a humanist, like left wing side as well? Like, didn't he march with like the Million Man March and 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 he did have some social causes? So maybe, oh, yeah. maybe that movie sums up his his <laughs> weird collection of politics. Yeah, uh, I don't know.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely like Charlton Heston, the the man, and Charlton Heston, the actor. Sometimes it seems like they're one and the same. But uh well, he chose his
4: roles carefully. Yeah, he had the power really? to do that. Mm-hmm.
2: Like the like all through the seventies, he he chose sort of dystopic science fiction films. A lot of them. There. Three of them. <laughs> I thought the major leftist side in the movie, though, was um, was Edward G. Robinson's character. Now, he was the more academic, bleeding heart, somewhat ineffectual, liberal guy in the movie. And I, I just, I love that actor to death in, in um, uh, just about everything I've seen him in. I must admit, I haven't seen a lot of his career. But in things like Double Indemnity, he's just fabulous. And in this movie... He's got to be about 80, and he's grizzled, and he's got the beard, and he's he's shrunk a bit, and he's, I don't think he was ever very tall, but um, he it's just a great sympathetic performance for him, and he goes out on a very cool scene.
3: Yeah, actually his last film. He died like a week after they finished shooting, and uh, the, his death scene was actually his last scene yeah, and in sp- his life.
4: supposedly Charlton Heston was the only one on the crew who knew he, that he was dying of cancer. And in, the, in Edward G. Robinson's death scene, uh, those tears at Charlton Heston were, were actually real tears. No, they weren't. Oh.
1: <laughs> You're so romantic. <laughs>
2: well, they is- do tell each other they love each other on
1: the way out. Yeah, yeah so there's so- also that,
3: this homoerotic uh, thing going on. Between, between guys oh guys this
1: guys. is gonna drive Reed nuts
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thinking
1: that there's homoerotic elements <laughs> in one of his favorite movies <laughs> yes
2: does tie that scarf several times <laughs> <laughs> A lot of emphasis
4: on that
1: I thought uh uh-huh. Edward G. Robinson's performance was very like I haven't seen much that he's been in either but it, it was very real like I I yeah. would have expected him to come from more of a theatrical, uh, sort of side of performing. And I thought his, he, he, was very subtle and kind of downplayed and, and, and just gave more of a, you know, I guess method kind of performance, which I found surprising.
2: Well, he's, yeah. the, real, he, he's the real deal. He
3: all around,
0: he was a good, uh, definitely a good compliment to, to Heston, I guess in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, which is
3: which is strange because apparently he was like completely deaf when they shot this film. Really? And, uh, yeah. So it's, it's it's really awesome that uh, he that that he acted so well uh, in the scenes. If there were more than two people in a scene, so because he couldn't hear the lines, basically. So
4: yeah, and when the director yelled "cut," he would continu- continue on speaking his lines. <laughs> yeah. well,
2: what did you guys think of the? Uh, I found when I was watching the movie that yeah the whole plot thing maybe it's cuz I everyone kinda knows the ending going in and the movie isn't really in any big hurry to get to its plotting elements it it almost seemed like they threw in a somewhat standard murder corruption plot more to show off the world I, I thought the movie was much more interested in showing off like they make how many times in the movie do they make at a point that you know if this character sees this food or that drink or ice or all these. It just kept reinforcing all these sort of simple pleasures that we take for granted um, over and over again. it seemed much more interested in giving the world, which I guess is a more of a science fiction thing than the straight up detective.
0: <clears throat> well, yeah, that's true. I was going to say that, um, you know, that's kind of what I get out of a lot of these like older science fiction movies. And I don't know if Reed, you can jump in here at any time, but I get the feeling that back then, you know, a lot of the, the science fiction movies, they had these cool ideas and they just had like a cool idea. Let's build a movie around it. And maybe the plot itself was not always all that interesting, but because the ideas were cool and they were presenting these, these insane worlds that maybe people had never imagined before, you know, they're, they're really still highly regarded, but You know, you watch them now compared to other science fiction movies that have been made that actually have really good plots and great acting and and all this. And, uh, you know, maybe they they don't quite compare on that level.
2: Well, an interesting analog to Soylent Green would be Children of Men. Uh, I, I found Children of Men. The first half of Children of Men was very interested in showing off the world, right. uh, the future world, and then it kicks into plot high gear. The movie actually is a lesser movie when it kicks into plot gear. I, I much prefer it when you're breathing um, in the world. And I, I, for, for whatever reason, Edward G. Robertson's sort of apply for suicide reminded me of the suicide kit that they handed out in Children of Men. And uh, um, But I don't know. I mean, Children of Men is a much more handsomely produced film. But at the same time, I much prefer the ending of Soylent Green to the, uh, I found Children of Men just drop the ball in its ending. It just it, it didn't do it right.
4: Yeah, I would agree with you there, Kurt.
1: <laughs> Why don't you elaborate?
4: Elaborate? Uh, well, so, so well, well, I mean,
1: so- Soylent Green is, what is it, your top in your top five movies of all time?
4: I don't know where this is coming from. <laughs> you said that. <laughs> I did not say that.
1: You, I'm pretty sure you said that. He, I think he changed his mind after he re- rewatched it. No, he changed his mind after you watched uh, well, that one movie written by Nicholas Meyer. Oh,
4: yeah, I can't even remember the title. The
1: Human Stain. Oh, yeah, right. Thanks. Can, he can't remember the title, and it's his w- number one movie now, apparently. But, <laughs> but you know, I remember we had a discussion on Cantankerous once about. Um, How you don't you don't think that there's any good science, modern science fiction films, that all science fiction is is dumb now. And I think you brought up Soylent Green as an example of the best kind of science fiction.
4: Well, only because it has this reputation for addressing environmental issues. But as a film, it and I think a lot of critics at the time and even now don't have much high regard for the film, although some people do.
0: Well, but I think I kind of agree with that statement that, you know, a lot of the modern science fiction is more explosions and special effects. But at the same time, when you watch some of these older sci fi movies, again, it's like the idea is cool. But then you sit down and watch it and it's a little bit meandering and not, you know, riveting the whole way through. But again, maybe some of that is just the time period and, you know, the, the lack of budget and whatever else. But um, so, well, go ahead. It,
2: it seems like they had to throw in the arbitrary Charlton Heston bangs the chick scene in there, and. Of course. Um, and then they had to throw in the arbitrary Charlton Heston beats up the black woman in there. So it's just in my own mind, every time I watch a Charlton Heston movie, he has to punch a black woman
4: in the face. Hey, you Wait, know, there's *The just, Omega uh, Man. He beds the black woman in that movie. Yes, he does. And, uh, just defending Chuck here. And,
2: and then, of course, the big melodramatic dialogue delivery. Like, the. I know everyone remembers the end line of the movie, but if they had ended it a couple seconds before, it probably wouldn't be so
1: hammy. Yeah. I thought the hammiest moment was when he drank that bourbon and he went Ugh. <laughs> That
3: was the good. scene where where he decides to stay stay for the night with the uh, furniture lady,
1: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> furniture, furniture lady.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but that's what they're called that's, that's in the I credits. Know. It actually yeah, says that. Yeah, and
3: you know, <laughs> the smile on his face—he looks like a retard, and, and, and like he's never had AC before in his life, jumping around, and ah, oh, it was it was uh, kind of bizarre actually. Yeah. Let
2: me—it is a tough sell to sell the fact that. Um, you know these things are a big deal. It's really hard to do that, and I don't think
1: they're successful. all no. the time, <laughs> like strawberry especially jam or whatever. <laughs> like,
3: especially since. How old was Charlton Heston when he did this
4: movie? What does age That's have six. to do with anything here? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, the year is set well, in 2022. We're just trying to do them and do the math. Yeah. So it was basically the world was set 50 years after the movie was made and they're making it it's like several generations or that edward g Robertson's character who's is 80 is the only one that remembers you know mm-hmm. touching a flower or, or having a steak or whatever um
4: yeah actually i was uh, asking jay about this when charlton heston sees all the scenery when um in uh, edward g robinson's uh room death room there but like they have television so when some of that scenery be on television
2: yeah, and uh, you would think a lot more would be in books, although they, they do imply that uh, Charlton hes- Heston is more or less functionally illiterate in the movie, um, and that, well, that's why have... he's partnered up with, the, with Edward G. Robinson to do all of his research for
3: him. Yeah, Because uh, apparently there are no books for the general public. Oh, but so his, room, his room is sorry. full of books. Yeah, but he, he's part of, he's, he's a cop, and, and they're basically Edward G. Robinson's book. Everyone
2: uses those erase things from out of the cereal box. Yeah, uh, oh, so yeah. I, <laughs> I noticed that too. I, I thought it was hilarious when he's like, "Sign here." Well, what are you going to keep that pad forever? Now, or you, all it takes is someone to lift it up.
0: That, yeah, some of the uh, one of the other futuristic uh, artifacts that I liked from this was the uh, football helmets that they wore for the riot gear. Yeah, yeah that was pretty good. The oh. asteroids game. Yeah, I thought you were going to bring that up, Sean. Oh, yeah. That is actually worth mentioning. I mean, so that that is basically one of the first video games ever made. But in this movie, it's kind of like supposed to be this super futuristic thing, and now it's just like ancient.
4: <laughs> well, it never did come out until six years later after the movie. Really? Yeah. So at the time, it would have been pretty high tech. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. Well, it still looks high-tech to me right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe in the design of the cabinet, but,
3: (laughs) um, yeah. Uh, Yeah, the cabinet looked like it was designed by Apple, actually. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It was white and shiny. Uh,
0: I I was going to ask you guys, what do you think, uh, like, if you can kind of take yourself out of how you went into this movie, like, if you saw this movie without knowing the ending... And I don't know, Reed, when when did you see this for the first time?
4: I saw it on television, but it was, well, like, when it came out, I was, like, 10 or 11, and uh, older people I, I know had seen the movie, and I so I, they ruined the ending for me. So
0: they ruined it. It's kind of weird, because it's like, if this came out nowadays, it would be like like an M. Night Shyamalan movie or something, where it's like, <laughs> don't talk about the ending, you know? <laughs> You're going to spoil it. And it's, um and, but... I'm just wondering if the movie would have seemed like, cause it's a pretty cool twist. I think, and I don't know if I would have necessarily seen it coming. Like obviously at the very end, it's pretty obvious where it's going, but um am just wondering what you, like if you guys think you would appreciate it more.
2: Oh yeah. Again, uh, definitely. I don't think the movie, I don't even think the movie cares too much. I mean, it's steadily working towards that goal, but it doesn't seem to be in any hurry to get there. And the plot points that it gives up, it it doesn't really tantalize you to as what the mystery is. It, I think you are just far more – I don't know. I found it far more – the movie seemed to put far more emphasis on just watching Charlton Heston wander from location to location rather than what he found out at each location. That's yeah. what
1: I thought was weird was – the food was just in passing. Like the soil and green stuff was just in passing. You'd see it here and there in a market or something. And it I never really got that feeling that it was as, you know important to the people, or or that this many people were eating it or that, you know, it was some product that was just revolutionary and, and uh, the mystery behind it. it Like you said, it was just more what Charlton Hesson was experiencing while investigating this uh, murder. And then it just throws it in the end that, oh, the, the food that he saw in the market there, <laughs> that stuff's people.
2: <laughs> which Which they echo very clearly in the dump trucks come and drop it off and then the riot dump trucks pick them all up to get them out of the way. So... The, mo- yeah. the movie actually drops a fair number of visual clues um, over the course of the runtime, uh, but I don't. Th- I still don't think that that it may have been in the original audience in the original reaction, but I don't think it's the. I don- really don't think it's the. It was the
1: main mission of the movie. I, I'm just wondering if the uh, what was it the yellow so- soylent yellow or soylent orange was actually soy.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was. Are you sure? Soybeans and lentil. I bet it was meat product. <laughs> they were fooling all the vegetarians. One thing I was asking Jay was right at the very end, Charlton Heston mentions the implication being that uh, humans will be bred as cattle. And I don't know if that's a jump or leap in logic that you can necessarily make.
0: Well,. <clears throat> Yeah, it doesn't really make sense because why would you be breeding them when there's just an overpopulation? Yeah, there's the so begin-life. many that you can just pick them up off the street. Yeah, uh,
2: the same thermodynamic problem was was uh, run over in the Matrix, um, right. Of the uh, population feeding and supplying itself, but to what end? But I think the overpopulation was supposed to be the the cattle equation that the movie was making was that everyone being stuffed into the like the lower classes being all stuffed together while the richer classes or the corporate class lives, you know, with the privilege and in the sky rise and the special apartments uh, with the concubines and all that stuff. It was just trying to make the point that, uh, like, it was a class statement, I think, more than, a, um, than the food supply statement, that cattle thing. That's the way I interpreted it. Well, uh, also,
0: I guess um – do you guys think this movie was kind of ahead of its time in terms of, um, the, this, the sort of corporate cover up kind of theme, like the fact that they chose like a corporation to kind of be the, the bad guy, which is, you know, nowadays that's, that's a huge thing. You see that in every movie
2: because you can't, uh, you can't politically, politically you're going to cut away audiences in a modern blockbuster sense. If you, if you make a minority or whatever the villain, but, uh, you know middle-aged white guys no problem in a corporation like when they remade the manchurian candidate um they took it away from like a nation brain watching it in in in, in, a, in a war sense and then they pushed it onto a corporation but i agree you're you're probably right in that that movie was
4: ahead of its time for well, roller bo- corporate rollerball villains Rollerball was made at about the same time, and it had the corporation as a villain as well. And so,
2: yeah, yeah now that I think about it, so was um, John Frankenheimer's Seconds, which was also a corporate
4: um, villain. For, with Rock Hudson? Yep. Oh, that was late 60s, wasn't it? 62. Early 60s. Wow. 1962.
2: But that movie is ahead of its time in almost every way imaginable.
3: <laughs> Has anyone read the book that the film is based on?
4: I read the summary on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost as good. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't have the uh, Soylent Green as a uh, people theme, although they have Soylent right. Stakes. So, so what, mm-hmm. what is the book? It's just basically like overpopulation in the future. That's it. Uh, yeah, well, it deals with uh, pollution as well. Uh,
1: Wait, are you saying that the book didn't have the Soylent Green being people, or the summary on Wikipedia didn't have that?
4: <laughs> no, well, yeah, no, the book doesn't have that.
3: So that was made up for the movie. Ooh.
1: Hmm. Interesting.
3: Yeah. One other thing. Could, I, could, I could really imagine uh, somebody like Paul Wareholt and... Um, Doing a remake? Movie too. Yeah, I agree. And... Yeah, and and but this only the green thing would be like littered throughout the movie with you know TV commercials and you
2: know, <laughs> eating. Yeah, he would, he eating would definitely run the, run the nines of making sure that it's always in the background. Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. Because that that is a flaw, whoever mentioned that. That that, that is a flaw. They show you a TV commercial at the beginning. I think you see the police lieutenant at one point snacking on some red wafers, and then during the food riot scene, you're being handed out. But that's really it. The rest of the time, you're actually looking at real food, which is funny, because the movie's supposed to say that it's rare, but they keep – finding it (laughs) or charlton heston keeps stealing it or coming across it just so that they can have more reaction shots of him tasting Mm. this food for the first time or that food for the first time
4: on the subject of food and people being food i was wondering if there will be a time in the future where people will accept eating people as food because like (laughs) i would go for it now it's already come (laughs) to pass we should have paired this movie with alive (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah Because <laughs> that's supposed to be the big shock Right But mm-hmm. I don't know
1: Well I still think that the shock is less About people eating people Than it is about people not knowing They're eating people I think if they, once they find out it's people, they're probably fine with it. <laughs> Population control. I mean, when you're in a, a future world where you have to sleep in stairwells and you have nothing to eat and then your, your only option is we'll give you food and we'll get you out of the stairwell. <laughs> you're going to eat the humans like, Yep. yeah, especially when it comes in a green wafer. How does a human get to a green wafer?
2: Well, they were trying to cover up the fact that the plankton plan didn't work because of all the pollution. So uh, apparently, food coloring is still in large supply in the future. Um, but the and uh, they do imply that the Soylent Green is in higher demand than the previous products. And like, yeah, whoever mentioned Verhoeven would have went to town with the probably how people can be manipulated through marketing and media in order to think that because maybe it's just because it has the new to it that people will, were willing to start a riot um, to grab the food. But um,
3: they did imply that it tastes better.
2: And uh, It's, actually, uh, kind
3: of, uh, it, it's uh, actually kind of strange that uh, – well, maybe not for the time that people weren't actually eating other people. Like I was actually thinking that the, the side of beef that they had was actually oh, yeah. human meat and because um, in that kind of world it wouldn't have been that strange actually because people are starving it's overpopulated people that would be uh,
2: Jean-Pierre Jeunet's delicatessen yeah <laughs> exactly
4: I was wondering I was wondering why they didn't bring up the mention of disease in this world it just seemed to be not neglected like
0: because Charlton Heston is banging all these chicks you mean
4: Oh, that too, yeah. Hey, no contra- <laughs> contraception there.
0: Um, yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, it certainly seemed like it was a pretty uh, un, uh, unhygienic environment that uh, oh, yeah. everyone was living in. But
3: He couldn't even remember when he had a shower. So
1: Yeah. Yeah, but that's one thing that this movie was not ahead of its time on is foreseeing that
4: banging random chicks could give you AIDS. <laughs>
3: That's true.
4: It was a little before then. Hey, they might have solved the problem in the future. They just didn't show us the solution.
1: That's true. Maybe maybe they knew about AIDS. It was just, cured, it is what you're saying. The
2: other thing that they sort of kind of flirt with setting up, but they don't go anywhere with is uh, he keeps saying that if he gets hurt or if he can't work for two days his job will be handed to someone else you'd think that would make people more cautious and paranoid in the future like you gotta be extra careful because if you go on disability you're gonna starve to death um but they don't he's still Charlton Heston and you know he goes on foot chases and has fist fights and uh, the the movie was its worst for me when it became a conventional action movie i would have loved for this entire movie to go without an action scene like if they did it well actually then we would have the insider uh, a movie that has no action scenes whatsoever but can still generate tension and interest and 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 throw ideas at you without having to resort to standard chases and and punching and and uh stunts basically
3: I don't know. i'm pretty sure that the uh i'm pretty sure the original film, uh screenplay probably was more like that but then you throw somebody like charleston into it he has to have his fight he has to bang the yeah, pretty girl and uh get shot and sh- punch,
1: sh- the punch the black woman
2: <laughs> yeah like in his contract but the, isn't uh, richard fleischer sort of known as more of a like a technical guy like isn't he more
3: of a well, he's done some really like great films in his past, but his, uh, the later part of his career was kind of shitty. He Red did. Sonya, Amityville 3D, and well, uh, yeah. I've wanted he started the serial
2: killer genre, um, or at least has two of the earliest entries. I, I've always wanted to see that um, Ten Rillington Place that, oh, that that's, he has that's that's an awesome, awesome copy. Of, that's many people that I talk to, if that guy's name comes up, they point that as being his best film.
3: Is fantastic movie, really fantastic
4: movie. Even better than it's, Fantastic Voyage?
3: Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, uh, what's his name? Was it director who, uh, did Gandhi? Richard Attenborough? Right. Yeah, yeah, he plays the lead, and, uh, he's this really creepy English serial killer who, uh, it's based on a the, on the true story And uh, it's really good It's, it's, it's kind of strange because you see it, uh, This this director has done These huge special effects movies And then he does this little small Down to earth black and white movie In England And uh, it's really creepy And uh, I suggest you uh, It's actually it's a really good DVD in the UK uh, For it, if you have A region free player So I suggest you get that It's a really good film
0: Huh. And he also did the original Dr. Doolittle. So mm-hmm. there you go. That's
3: true. Um,
0: so um, are we wrapping things up? Any final thoughts on Soylent Green?
1: Hmm. Am I the only uh, person who thinks that Charlton Heston and Arnold Schwarzenegger look exactly the same?
3: Uh, I was actually thinking the exact same thing. Really? Uh, with yeah. They're, yeah, they're, they are the same kind of features
1: they have There's like that the same brow the same separated eyes and the giant wide toothy yeah. smile I and mean, yeah. they both smoke cigars all the time
3: yeah. Yeah. And,
2: and the uh, Soylent Green and the uh, Running Man have the uh, <laughs> similar mm-hmm. kind of dark features and don't they share screen time in uh, what's that James Cameron
1: movie True Lies, uh, lies. 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 They, they have a scene together it was like, it reminded me of the scene in The Sixth Day where there was the two Arnolds and they say, Cool.
0: <laughs> cool. Was <laughs> you? I knew. I'm baby. It's good
3: stuff. It's
0: so yet another reason why
1: Paul Verhoeven should do a remake starring Arnold. And then it would also have, because Reed was complaining that there was no nudity. If Paul Verhoeven did it, it would have those weird unisex shower scenes, <laughs> which would be great.
3: That's true. Exactly.
1: Um, yeah, I, I'm. I've said all I have to say. I think about. Uh, Soil and Green, top of my checklist of things to discuss was Arnold Schwarzenegger and Charlton Heston looking the same. <laughs> but I, you, it really isn't one of your top 10, top five movies. No, it isn't Jay.
4: It's just that the three movies that, uh, Charlton Heston did, um, Planet of the Apes, the Omega Man and, and this one, um, I, I enjoyed very much.
1: Well, Planet of the Apes is your number two film now bumped down from by the human stain but you that is right right yeah
0: so do you like Soylent Green better or worse than Omega Man
4: uh hard to say probably on equal standing
2: all right I think Soylent Green's a pretty darn good film it's not without its flaws but I mean it's got some really like that riot sequence the opening credit sequence the overall feel of the movie it's you know, for all of its, very much of its time, uh, it still aged well in its own way. I liked it, mainly for Edward G. Robinson, to be honest. Every time he was on screen, the movie went up, like, several levels.
1: I really liked his death sequence. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool, too. It reminded me of the movie Project X with Matthew Broderick and the, the, oh, the, the chimpanzee who dies. <laughs> 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 yeah. I don't get it. Uh, I mean, I th- I think only two people will know what I'm talking about. But I saw Project X when they put He's the monkey. Jay Robinson looks like a monkey. <laughs> <laughs> when they put the monkey in the thing and they simulate uh, the on the screen the flying and it dies of radioactive oh. or whatever.
4: Oh, Okay, it's
1: been a while, but yeah, I enjoyed it. It, it was good. I mean. I don't think modern-day audiences would enjoy it, though. It's too slow. Modern-day audiences
0: meaning not us? Young kids. Teenagers. Well, that's why they got to do a remake. Mm. This actually, I'm very surprised, hasn't been remade yet. I mean, everything else they're doing lately. Yeah, they remade Omega Man. Well, exactly.
3: (laughs) The third time around at that novel, anyway. I think uh, it's probably because everybody knows the ending.
4: Well, they would change that. Yeah, Soil and Green Planet isn't Apes. people.
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> the twists. Soylent Green is dirt. <laughs>
3: well, they did change the game. Soy. <laughs> of the Apes. It's
4: so yeah, natural. right. Yeah, right. Planet of the Apes, right.
3: Yeah. Uh, well, for me, uh, I just watched this film tonight, actually. For the first time? Uh, yeah. And I have to say that the biggest flaw of this film is Charlton Heston. What? <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> oh, sorry. <clears throat> yeah, but uh, because, I don't know, he, he's, he's just so goddamn hammy. And uh, his character is, is, like we said before, a like, complete dick. And um, I don't know, it, 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 he kind of robs the film of any um, credibility, really so uh,
4: I think, totally disagree <laughs> <Uh-oh>. well,
3: <laughs> and, uh oh and but it is also kind of frustrating that uh, I don't think you can it's, I think it's really hard to find people today who don't know how the film ends and who uh, don't know the whole twist and everything so it's, 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 it's kind of hard to get into it when you know basically how it ends so
0: uh that's true but i I still think it's a movie that like for myself i had no i did know the ending but i'm kind of glad i I got to watch it and actually kind of see how it all plays out because it it has more to offer than just the twist ending oh
3: yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, what what i liked about it was the uh i was actually surprised how 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 um how it dealt with the whole pollution overpopulation thing. I actually, I think it's probably one of the earliest times the word greenhouse effect is uttered in a movie, mainstream movie in the States or in the world. Uh, and uh, so that's, it was like a pleasant surprise how, how see how a movie made in that time was dealing with, you know, pollution and, and, and stuff like that. So it's actually, I don't know, it's, it kind of felt like uh, I was watching like The Inconvenient Truth at the beginning. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's true. So, yeah. yeah, You know one so, thing... Yeah. Oh,
4: go ahead. Oh, You know one thing we haven't discussed, and not to prolong this conversation about Swelling Green much further, but the whole feminist aspect. I would think that females would be kind of insulted if they watched oh, this oh, yeah, movie.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. yeah, but isn't that... Saying calling them furniture isn't flattering? <laughs> <laughs>
4: Isn't that true of any Charlton Heston movie though? Yeah, that's
3: true.
4: No no, Omega Man, the women were treated with respect.
3: Really? Well,
2: you punched a black woman. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So no no, yeah. she's a strong character. She's definitely a strong character in uh in Omega Man, but uh not so much uh, the girl in Planet of the Apes and <laughs> not so much the uh the women here. Um no. In fact, that you don't really see a lot of women outside of the, uh, outside of the sort of concubines. I think you you no, see like no, you do. There's lots of women, women out there. Like she's in a Soviet Union food line screaming, and that's about it. Oh, you aren't watching yeah.
4: closely enough, Kurt. There were tons of women out in the street there. Yeah, they were
1: street women. They were like bag ladies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There were lots oh, of men that were normal, successful people and weren't you know furniture
2: they have beige hats on like all the men
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, there was the one woman who worked at the uh the, the suicide place oh the yeah, she was hot
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> she can put me out of my misery any day <laughs> um, all right, so <laughs> that's wrapping things up for Soiling green. we're gonna move on to the insider. Okay. Are you sticking around, Reed, or are you taking off? How long are you guys going to talk about The Insider? Probably three hours. Okay, I'll stick around. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so The Insider, uh, directed by Michael Band, starring Russell Crowe, Al Pacino. Um, what year did this come out? 99? Yep, 99,
3: yeah.
0: So, so based on a true story uh, about Jeffrey Wigand, is that how you say his name? Uh, yeah. So. He he was, uh, he worked for one of the uh, tobacco companies in research and development and he blew the whistle on them and went, went public with uh, the truth about how they, uh, I guess, manipulate the, uh, chemically the cigarettes to make them more addictive and uh, that sort of thing. Um, and of course it was a huge controversial thing uh, because it didn't end up airing originally and all that stuff now it is a dramatized version they even say at the end of the movie that some things have been changed a little bit for the film um this is my second time seeing the insider and um i i liked it quite a bit it is a long movie i gotta say um because i came home from work and i was i watched it just before this and it ended literally like five or ten minutes before i you know, came on Skype to start setting things up here. So um, what was everybody else's uh, viewing habits for The Insider?
1: Viewing my viewing Uh, habit? Well, like (laughs) how many times have you seen it? Where did you first see it? This is my second time seeing it. The first time I saw it was at home. I have not seen it. You own it, though. I'm going to guess you own it. No, I don't. Christopher Plummer's in it.
4: Not enough. <laughs>
1: <laughs> For those who don't know, Reed will buy anything that you know stars someone who's been in any Star Trek uh, show or movie, and Christopher Plummer was in Star Trek VI. No, we didn't, as we didn't mention General Chang.
2: Lieutenant in Soylent Green, I believe, was a character on Deep Space Nine.
1: He no. He was. Uh, was he on Deep Space Nine as well? Yes. Okay. Because yes. he's in. I know him from Star Trek Six and oh, and the Star Ad- Trek G Four. Admiral. Yeah. Oh, sorry to derail that. Um. <laughs>
4: while we're while we're talking about Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. In Sterling Green in the exchange, that woman who uh, was talking to Saul to, to Edward G. Robinson, she was the one in the uh, star, original Star Trek episode. Uh, to Paul who played the Vulcan matriarch who wed, uh, was going to wed Spock. Just for any Trekkies yeah. out there. Who, okay, continue. I love, sorry, I love, I, love, I love this story. <laughs> uh,
2: the uh, for me, uh, the insider. This was I saw it theatrically in '99, and I I liked it then, but I, I I don't think it was overly memorable at the time. I, I really didn't really sit down and start watching Michael Mann's films until maybe 2001 or 2002 so coming back to the movie again yesterday you realize just how much of a Michael Mann movie this is even if the subject matter isn't what he normally does it's got his fingerprints over everything so it was uh, interesting to see the movie from a totally different perspective the second time
3: around yeah. Uh, this is actually my first time seeing this film. And um, I, had, I had seen parts of it, glimpses, and I had heard something about the whole case, the, the real case. And especially because this Jeffrey Wine guy uh, came to Iceland like uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, and has some lectures and stuff like that. And I think they uh, start talk about it then. But I never actually seen the movie, and I was always on my way to buy like buy the DVD because I I was really interested in seeing how the whole the real thing uh, came down and what were the consequences really uh, because uh, it doesn't seem to have had a lot of consequences. But uh, I don't know if you guys know more about it because you're closer to the subject matter, I guess, but, uh, uh yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's it my first time and I actually liked it very much.
0: Well, I guess, um, kind of on that topic uh, as to whether or not the actual real events were like super well known to everybody. Like I vaguely remember hearing something about it, but I think one of the, the things that, people accused this movie of was kind of making uh, Al Pacino's character, who is uh, Lowell Bergman, who was a uh, producer producer for 60 minutes, making him out to be more of a hero than he really was. And uh, I think it's interesting. Like I had kind of even almost forgotten that Al Pacino was the guy uh, alongside Russell Crowe in this movie. And really the movie shifts about halfway to becoming more Al Pacino's story than Russell yeah. Crowe's, which yeah, I thought is kind of interesting.
3: I like Russell Crowe kind of, Russell Crowe kind of just drops out of the film halfway through it. And, uh, well, just
2: I liked go. the first half where you're emotionally invested because it's, Little guy making the sacrifice of his family, and you know, he alienates his wife, and um, he has a sick child, and and uh, you know, just the sort of human element of putting things on the line. But then I also liked the sort of network, sort of media, uh, microscope, um, that the movie was in the in the second half. But I don't know, I always look at Michael Mann's films as. He makes movies about men that are highly professional and do their jobs very, very well. And then they're usually punished by people trying to not have integrity or covering up or, 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 or whatever. And it was interesting to see Al Pacino portrayed uh, as like that in the media world. And then uh, Russell Crowe's character like that in the, um, you know, the science ethics world. And it would, the way they, Played those characters off of each other was. It was really a joy to watch.
0: Mm-hmm. I think uh, it's interesting, too, in terms of Russell Crowe. Like, he was nominated for Best Actor for this. Um, and, uh, you know, I think this may have been his first. I don't know if it was his first. Was it his first nomination? Uh, for me, it was kind of the first time I noticed him becoming a very respected actor i guess i'm trying to uh remember what else he might have done before that
4: i thought it was la confidential that made him popular yep that that yeah that's right true well, um, he did uh, that
2: sam Raimi flick uh the quick and the dead and um yeah. virtuosity that trashy cyber thriller with denzel
1: washington and romper stomper
2: Yeah, well, Mm -hmm. loads of Australia stuff, like Proof and Romper Stomper, and yeah, he had a very well-established, award-winning actor in Australia before he imported himself over here.
0: Yeah, but I mean, if you look at his filmography after that, it's basically like Oscar nomination after Oscar nomination. Um, Which, you know, I I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing. I mean, I feel like I'm starting to get a little bored of his roles, but I I thought he was awesome in The Insider. Um,
2: I thought Al Pacino was a much better performance in the movie. I thought it was more restrained. I found Russell Crowe coasted a bit on the twitchy, like the overplayed mannerisms. I agree with and that. Al Pacino's it's, character mm-hmm. was actually, for Al Pacino, of all people on this planet, was really restrained. And he got his character across without having <coughs> the bombastic, um, you know, devil's advocate kind of moments uh, in the movie. I actually much, I mean, I liked the wagon thread, and, and I, his character was like more interesting because he was more well-rounded. Um, but I thought Al Pacino was a far better performance, but maybe too subtle, not as showy enough to win award nominations.
1: I think the uh, the actual uh, TV segment that they keep showing, um, Christopher Plummer just blows that away. And like his performance, it just... If if you're you, they show like kind of the cut version of that interview where he's uh, talking over top of like B roll footage of uh, the trial and the cigarettes and everything, and he, he, it's like you're looking at the actual sixty minutes segment. I mean the way he delivers the voiceover for it, and it's just perfect. And I found that Russell Crowe on the other end was a little like you said twitchy like he 's got these facial mannerisms, and he 's got this accent that he 's putting on, and it seems like he 's trying to mimic someone like i, I haven 't seen the original footage, so i don 't know if he 's trying to mimic the guy
0: uh, yeah i don 't think he necessarily is because that those mannerisms he uses time and time again, and I think you know this was the first time I kind of saw him him do that. And and maybe that's why it's kind of like this this time it works for me. But he's done it over and over again to the point where it's too much now. Like he's always either this really macho guy or he's this kind of meek guy with these weird kind of like, you know, yeah, Which mannerisms. Is, uh,
2: well, what I love about all of Michael Mann's films, all of them, is that while they are about the main characters and the main uh, 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 he lets so many character... Because his films are long, so there can be a lot more side characters. And this is character actor heaven in this oh, movie. Yeah, yeah. Michael Gambin is the head of the cigarette company that he works for, and he has that great, like, fuck you scene in his office. And Philip Baker Hall is um, uh, Al Pacino's boss... And uh, Canadian Colm Fiore is uh, one of the Mississippi lawyers and regular uh, Michael Mann character actor Bruce McGill is the other Mississippi lawyer that has the most kick-ass scene in the movie. The scene when he's trying to read, uh, get Jeffrey Wigan's deposition in the Mississippi court so that it can open up the interview on CBS. They need him on the record. And the big tobacco lawyers are kind of come down from a bigger court and they're in there and they're sort of snickering and interfering. And he just has the ultimate takedown of that other lawyer. That scene gives me goosebumps when I watch it. It's just awesome.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of kind of like cool, almost like fist pumping moments in this where it's like, I think under with a different director or with different actors it would be a little too much but with this cast and with Michael Mann directing it it's just like hits the right notes that it's like you know you're you're totally on board with it and these people are uh you know on you're you're totally on their side but it's not too in
1: your face I guess I don't know one thing I love about Michael Mann <clears throat> is Just from, I guess, more of a technical side of things, his ability to capture environments. Um, I always think of my the Miami Vice film, the scene where they're on the rooftop and there's like lightning everywhere and there's clouds and and in this, I mean, it's little things, but. Uh, just scenes where they're in, in cars where it's raining or there's a scene where uh, there's in the, the shot in the cockpit of the plane uh, where you see out the window and all the clouds. And and he always shoots this stuff with such a, a realism that he perfectly captures that environment. And I, I mean, it's same thing for uh, um you know, I, I guess the last of the Mohicans would be a good example of capturing environment as well, and and it just really makes you feel like you know there when there's thunder and there's lightning, there's actual thunder and lightning in the scene, and it's it's in the distance, and you know it's a lot more um, effective than you know some white flashes and and like you know a rain machine uh so he manages to capture that really well but another thing he did in this film that i think in any other movie or maybe even by any other director would be kind of uh disorienting or or a little distracting is his consistent close-ups of russell crowe i mean russell crowe is almost in every shot he's in like uh, the corner of the screen, like the side of his face is in the corner of the screen as though the camera is like mounted on his shoulder for the whole film. And, you know, being that close on an actor can be, I I mean, I just rewatched the happening and I can't even believe how close the camera is on Mark Wahlberg's face through 80% of that movie to the point where it's like his eyes are like distorting and bulging. And he's like, what? What? But that's why he seems like a 12 year old kid in that movie, the way he was shot. Same with Zoe Deschanel. But in this movie, he handles those close ups so nicely. Like it's just really, uh, I think, a hard thing to do without it being really obvious and distracting.
2: I'm glad you mentioned that because I found that the the visual structure first of all the the movie seemed to be for the time nineteen ninety nine there's a lot more handheld photography which seemed to come maybe two or three years later into mainstream films so all, a lot of the handheld shots but the close ups on the face that you mentioned I found that the movie was trying to go after you know like integrity and um people's integrity and it was almost like he was trying to accomplish that visually by allowing you to look right into the character's eyes at all times so you get the sense of you know when Al Pacino is standing up for what he believes in or Russell Crowe is doing what he does you look the man right in the eye I, I mentioned that Bruce McGill scene when he when he takes down that lawyer it ends with a close up on his face just like you said where he's off to one side half of his head is cut off because it's so close and you get the sense of well you get the sense on his face it's subtle but there's a, a sense of accomplishment um, uh, and uh, as he goes back to his you know the job that he was trying to do and I, I thought they did that very well in the movie like the, you are looking in these guys eyes to judge them by looking in their eyes
1: yeah I mean when that's done properly it's really effective like having I love tight close-ups of faces and I mean sometimes it can be off-putting like in the happening but um, it can be a, a good tool I mean it definitely does something to you while you're watching it
4: well close-ups are known in television land as being the predominant tool to use but i'm
1: talking like extreme close-up like face yeah fills the the frame
0: and michael mann does come from a tv background (laughs) but i think the handheld thing you mentioned too kurt is a good point because like you said earlier this movie is very like there's no real action in it um and i even remember like i don't think i saw this movie in theaters i just remember hearing it was really good i had to see this movie and but i couldn't bring myself to watch it for the longest time because i thought it it sounded dull and but the handheld work and just the way he he does it he, he generates suspense energy in every scene and it isn't dull you know even though it's a pretty long movie
4: so there's no car chases no, nothing. Uh, no gunfights of any kind. No scoopers. Uh, it amazing!
2: It's incredibly procedural, which you don't. You've seen it. I've seen it creep into movies a little bit more lately, but it's it's much more interested in process than in action. Uh, it 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 stops dead many times so that the characters can really. Question their morals and and uh, and and their reasoning behind decisions, particularly with Christopher Plummer's portrayal of um, Mike Wallace, who I think in the movie is portrayed to be a bit of a waffler. Um, and I think the real Mike Wallace had many issues with this movie's portrayal of him because uh, he comes off as a bit spineless in the latter half of the movie. Although he does rock when he's um, interviewing that uh, sheik in, um, that Hezbollah sheik uh, in the opening interview of the movie. But later on in the movie, he comes across. I I mean, I I look, especially the second half of the movie uh, would be (coughs) sort of a a good triple bill with um, network and good night and good luck. Uh, It just, they're all sort of, the process of media creation. Um, It's it's an interesting subject, but it's not one that makes for conventional thriller material.
0: Yeah, I I mean, it is interesting, like, you know, when you hear the story, it seems like it's just about sort of the evils of corporations and stuff, and it is, but... You know, like you said, there's that whole underlying thing about just the media and journalism and integrity and all that kind of stuff that kind of seeps through. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on in this movie. It's kind of like Wayne's World. Very similar to Wayne's World.
3: Yeah. Yeah. He <laughs> throws
2: that out and just leaves it. <laughs> that was completely self-explanatory.
1: Well, I mean, they, they, there's a lot of uh, you know media procedural media stuff in Wayne's World and their whole dealing with the integrity of having sponsorship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. We'll leave it at
3: that.
4: <laughs> I want to know if any uh, smokers who watch this movie will uh, think twice about their habit.
3: I've been smoking three
4: cigarettes while we've been doing this, so no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's
0: uh well again it's one of those things where um it's not really that's not really the focus of the movie like cuz it's it's stuff you kind of already know in a way you know like you know that they're they're doing things with the cigarettes and we've heard it before i guess at the time maybe it was it was a pretty big story no, they even but mentioned
2: it in the movie that's what i found interesting about the movie is that they the, the image that i remember personally like you know in the media i don't remember any of the wagon stuff but i do remember when all the tobacco, which they show footage, which has obviously happened in the past in this movie of all of the CEOs of all the cigarette companies standing up and saying, swearing under oath that um, cigarettes are not addictive in their opinion or whatever. And it almost seems like the movie takes that for granted. Like the several scenes in the newsroom, they're saying, well, that ain't news. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, I, I guess the the news that they wanted to cover was the tobacco manipulation. Uh, I still I don't know. Maybe I just brought up cynically, or 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 that that's so blatantly obvious that I didn't find any of the revelations in this movie within this story, which the real events happened in the mid nineties, right? I didn't find any of it particularly revealing. It a lot of the actual cigarette side of things came across as a
3: big, well, duh. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, the, the 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 when you when you say it that um, the whole cigarette thing wasn't really the focus of the movie. Really, it right. was the uh, corporate clashes between the TV station and the. Uh, well, between, and, again, and, the very
2: Michael Man between the worker bees and the management.
3: Yeah, exactly. The, the cigarette cigarette thing kind of fell by the wayside, actually, and uh, so it became a movie about integrity instead of instead of it was surprisingly non-anti-smoking yeah, same thing
2: with that um, uh, Jason Reitman comedy uh, Thank You For Smoking uh, yeah. it wasn't really about smoking either um, but and I don't think either of the films actually have anyone actually smoking a cigarette in the movie um, I, I don't recall anyone
3: actually. I, did, I, I, I know, noticed that. some background people thought that's about it but no, none of the characters actually smoke enough.
0: Here's uh here's an interesting bit of trivia. Val Kilmer was considered for the role of Jeffrey Wygand, but um, after uh, somebody saw Russell Crowe in L.A. Confidential, he was suggested for the role, and he flew down and basically met with Michael Mann, and the rest is history. Would Val Kilmer be in a different place than he was today if he starred in The Insider?
2: I like Val. Kilmer. I, I like Val Kilmer a lot. I, I have no idea. I don't think he would have been as sympathetic. I, I don't. Val Kilmer just to me doesn't have a sympathetic face. I guess I suppose neither does Russell Crowe to a degree. But um, I, it, it would have been a different movie. I think a very different movie. Yeah, for it, sure.
3: It is a huge change from from going from this. Movie where he plays like this uh, weak, uh, meek guy, and jumping up to uh, jumping straight to uh, Gladiator straight after this, and and that movie basically defining his career and uh, being this badass guy instead of this one.
2: Yeah, which is
3: bad because The
2: Insider is like a hundred times a better film. Uh, yeah. than Gladiator is yeah. on, on almost every single
1: level. Um, yeah. Reed Farrington is uh, raising his eyebrow. <laughs> <coughs> Do you want to speak up and defend Gladiator or something?
4: No, I, I didn't like Gladiator either. 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 <laughs> <laughs>
3: okay.
2: Yeah, I, I, uh, this movie is rarely makes any missteps and, <clears throat> and even for its sort of liberal um issue oriented plot it it never falls into the trap that issue movies tend to fall into it 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 keeps itself pretty level and technically yeah. acting and everything is everything in this movie is firing on all cylinders all the time I uh, I'm surprised this movie isn't mentioned more and um, than it is in both man, Michael Mann's career. And in, I mean, I know 1999 was a very good year for movies, but, uh, this one seems to have fallen by the wayside.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Um, Um, any final thoughts on the insider?
3: Um, for me personally, it's, um, like I said, it, it was the first time I saw it tonight. And, uh, Probably the best Michael Mann film in my opinion. Um, because I'm I'm not really a big of a fan of his. I like his visual style, but uh his films tend to get on my nerves for some reason. I mean uh Heat is alright. Uh collateral is a piece of shit. Uh, I hadn't seen Ali, uh I don't know. Manhunter and stuff like that I don't know but it it looks beautiful and 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 and, and uh, it's really it's non-preachy for uh, such a uh, for this type of film with it that kind of message and uh, yeah it's uh, it's good stuff actually really good stuff ooh I saw yeah The Keep I like The Keep that's a, that's a good film that he's done
2: can you even find that movie? Is that movie even like outside of VHS tapes even available?
3: Uh, I have it on laser.
2: Oh, okay. Um, for me, The Insider is—I don't know if it's my favorite Michael Mann movie, but it's definitely—it's definitely up there. Um, it's a movie that I probably will go out and buy. This is the first time I saw it since I saw it theatrically, and it has for for its runtime and and. Uh, um, and whatnot, it it is, I think, quite a rewatchable movie. Uh, like we said before, on a technical level, it's it's a joy just to watch for oh, its yeah. technical ability. But it, it also almost has convinced me that this whole ninety-minute standard film length thing is the wrong way to go about making movies. Uh, I mean, this movie is over two hours, well over two hours, and that still felt like the right running time to me I, I if they had knocked this thing down to 90 minutes it totally would have failed as a movie um,
1: but then I, again if they bumped up a lot of movies out there that are 90 minutes to two and a half hours that would be a pretty big disaster on our hands
3: <laughs> yeah. I actually see think? in the I see in the trivia that the TV version uh, of this movie is longer actually than the, uh, hmm. than the theatrical version
4: so that's why I prefer to wait until it comes out on television. Because they're always longer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, were you going to say something?
0: No? Yeah. Um, okay, so I guess that wraps things up. Uh, f- uh, we've decided on what we're going to be watching for the next episode, which will be number 11. Uh, according to the poll, uh, Night, of, Night of the Creeps won. Which is which
2: blows my mind. The movie is really hard to find.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm excited to rewatch it and talk about it. Um, I hope that people out there can get a hold of it. I'm assuming the internet is a good place to look at the moment.
1: But I, I think the main difference with this one is that most people who would be interested in hearing this probably have seen it. Yeah, yeah
3: definitely.
1: Uh, this is a I mean, movie most that most people I, have seen. It. I, yeah.
2: You know, it's screened in Toronto with Fred Decker there to introduce yeah. the film not that long ago. I think maybe like the end Last of September 2007. Um, yeah. it's 35-millimeter print, the whole deal. But I, I'm really quite surprised after The Monster Squad came out on DVD that this movie wasn't quick to follow.
1: Well, they're, yeah. they're, they're trying also, to get it yeah, done, aren't they?
3: Yeah. I actually I talked to, uh, I don't know if I should say his name but at Fantastic Fest I uh, met this don't prominent- say his name No, oh, okay a quite <laughs> prominent DVD uh, producer uh, he has his own company he's quite, quite a big DVD company he, and he told me that it was on its way uh, hmm. next year actually so they, it's been uh, like a legal thing that they're trying to get to I don't know wh- why it's so, such a big deal but apparently it's a huge legal bullshit going
1: on is it Uh, anchor bay
3: uh i don't know who's going to release it but but
1: uh don't bullshit me
3: (laughs) (laughs) so uh it's probably not going to be anchor bay it's probably going to be either i think fox owns the film i think
1: yeah i guess Uh, monster squad came out that was a fox release wasn't it 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 was a big uh, release yeah. It was a major yeah, yeah, studio yeah. like MGM major or something. Or? Too. Full full release, like very yeah. prestigious <clears> release <throat> of that movie.
3: Well, now no to mention, TriStar released the film, so and that's a Sony company now. So, hmm. so I don't know, maybe Sony put, puts it out or something. I don't know. Well, there you but have uh,
2: it. We'll be ahead of the curve on this yeah. DVD release. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: uh, so Night of the Creeps. And we are pairing it with uh, Marina and Andrew don't even know this yet, but uh, Gremlins 2, the The new batch, uh, <laughs> which, uh, yeah, it's well, I think, you know, people might look at that and think that's a weird choice. But uh, I, we talked before, actually, I think, Jay, at some point about how Gremlins 2 is kind of an odd little film that kind of bucks the the expectations and the trends
2: for a
1: sequel of that nature it's a sequel made by people who don't want to make a sequel right so
2: they just fuck off for yeah. a good 90 minutes and do whatever the hell they want mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> um, just to uh, bring one final Star Trek connection read <laughs> Fred Decker
4: wrote a couple episodes of Enterprise Jay you told me that last year I know and you didn't believe me <laughs> I still don't believe you yeah I believe you it's good stuff.
3: Apparently, apparently he's doing. Uh, he's writing a new film. Hopefully, he's gonna direct something soon.
1: I just watched an episode I of Tales did. from the Crypt that he wrote.
3: Oh yeah? yeah, yeah. I actually ordered. I it's 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 arrived at the post office. The script for Night of the Creeps.
2: Nice. So, uh, so, so you're gonna come in super prepared.
0: We should do a <laughs> drama- We could do a dramatic <laughs> reading from it.
3: Oh, yeah, definitely.
2: <laughs> but didn't yeah, Shane a- Black write most of those? His two films there, the the. No, he he only did
3: uh, Monster Squad with him. Oh okay. Yeah, Black and Decker, get it? <laughs> 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 yeah, but yeah, uh, I, I'm such a huge fan of Knight of the Creeps. I have I have it on VHS. I have it on Laser. I have it in legal bootleg. I have a script. I have all the posters. I have all the lobby cards. Uh, it's fucking awesome. Actually, on eBay, I think last year, they had one of the alien heads up for grabs. From
2: the opening scene?
3: Yeah, the midget aliens. And uh, and it it was way too rich for my blood. I think it went for like $1,500 or something like that. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well... So you can't be a, you must not be a true fan if you're not willing to put up money for that then That's
3: true. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Sorry. Um, well anyway, it sounds like we're going to have the ultimate night of the creeps discussion. Um so definitely tune in next month for that and we'll have a new
1: poll up. It's um, too bad we don't have that. Won't have a uh, t- it's uh, It's uh, too uh. bad we won't have that for Halloween. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that's true.
2: Well, judging by the frequency with which we, we say every month, but it's more like every, we'll have it for Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) So by Christmas, exactly.
0: Yeah. But you know, we'll see what we can do. Um, Of course, visit the site at uh, www.movieclubpodcast.com. Vote for the, uh, I guess it will be for episode 12 and uh, email us. And jump in on the uh, the comments and let us know what you thought of these two movies that we just discussed. And uh, I guess that's about it. So thanks uh, for listening. Thanks, everyone, for being here. Thanks, Reed, for joining us. It was good. It was fun.
3: No,
4: it wasn't. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and with that said, we'll see you guys next month. Bye-bye
1: bye